This is Mamas on a Mission, Season 2, Episode 8. Hey, I'm Holly, the host of this podcast, Mamas on a Mission, where I share different Melbourne mums with you each week. The purpose of these chats is to bring you everyday mums that are using their skills, experience and time to help others, especially mums. If you've tuned in all season, thank you. I hope you've felt informed and inspired by their stories. And if you're new here, welcome. You can hit subscribe and go back to previous episodes. After this one, of course. We're at episode eight, so there's two more left for this season. I'd like to now introduce you to my latest guest, Zali Yeager, who is an associate professor and co-director of Body Confident Mums. Zali has been a body image researcher for 14 years. What I hope you love about this chat is that it comes from an informed and researched perspective. In this episode, Zali shares some interesting research findings about mothers and body image. We chat about the role social media plays in body image perception and mental health of mums. And lastly, Zali provides effective strategies that can help mums to have a positive relationship with their body. Zali is on a mission to develop evidence-based resources that help to improve mother's body image and mental health. We start off with Zali talking about her academic background and how she started in this field. Let's meet Zali. After high school, I set out to be a health and physical education teacher. Um, Not because I was particularly sporty, um, but quite the opposite. So I was a larger child. I was very uncoordinated and, um, and became very good at avoiding PE class. Like you can, you can really get out of it. And, um, you know, the way that they would do it, you know, having us all lined up and throwing the ball to each other, you, you don't actually get corrected in terms of what you're doing. So anyway, I just, by the end of high school, I was like, I can do a better job at this than, um, than what's happening at the moment. So went to uni and did um, health and PE, but really I became frustrated when I was on placement in the high school, trying to teach the kids about health and I'm teaching them relevant things. Like I'm talking about sex, which is something that all adolescents are completely um you know interested in um but they just didn't take health seriously and then and um PA you know you've got the people that either really like it or hate it so I got a little bit um yeah a little bit over trying to push people to do things they didn't want to do um and I was I loved uni I was you know um enjoying all the assignments and things and then I was doing an honours research project and my supervisor just said, oh, you should do a PhD. And I was like, um, I don't really know what that is. <laughs> and and um, so did a PhD, which is basically just a really long four-year research project where you really deep dive into some stuff. And most of my early work um, revolved around really determining which body image programs would be most effective for primary school and high school students um, and how we could most effectively prepare PE teachers to be able to deliver those and I guess my interest in in body image really arose through um, like most people who research body image and eating disorders arose through my own personal experience of you know being a larger child and then becoming very good at dieting um, during my adolescence Um, so I was always interested in body image even you know in my teaching kind of um, career but then really focused on that in my research Um, but you know, the whole time it was about how can we help these adolescents and how can we help these children? And then once I had a baby and became a mother, I was like, actually, there's very little research that's done on adult women in general, let alone mothers. Um, and it really just emerged as, as a really big gap that we could fill. So you're really interested then into body image of mums specifically. And so how did Body Confident Mums start? Can you explain a little bit more about what it is for people? Body Confident Mums started because as a body image researcher, I was working with, I sort of realised working with children was, is too late. You know, we were talking to kids who were three to five years old in, an, in a little play-based interview and they were already able to tell me that thin was good and fat is bad. And then we'd be surveying nine-year-olds and they'd already be telling me that they're upset with their body and they want to change it. So it was just kind of like we can't, yeah, we can't wait that long to do stuff. And once I had my own kids, I realised why those attitudes might already be set in place because the most important role model of 
attitudes towards your own and others' bodies um, is right in your house. And, um, you know, mothers can be very dissatisfied with their bodies. Um, your body's dramatically different after you've had a baby. Um, there is no such thing as getting your pre-baby body back. It just does not exist. Um, and you don't have time to do the things that you would normally do to make yourself feel good about your body. Um, and don't have time to shop for new clothes to fit your new body. So <laughs> there's just no, um, there's no, yeah, no way to feel good. Um, so I was sitting in mother's groups and play groups. I was really into the groups. <laughs> it helped keep, keep me sane. Um, and all of these mums were sitting around just really hating on their body and talking in detail about the parts that had changed and how they didn't like that and all the things they were trying to do to change that. Um, and during my 20s, I just don't remember, like, talking about bodies that much. You know, it just kind of didn't happen. But then, I, you know, that was such a dominant co- topic of conversation in these, um, whenever I got together with mums, basically. And then our kids started to get older and they started to get to the point where they could hear us and understand what we were talking about. And I just kind of thought, oh, we really need to understand just how powerful the things that we, can, that we say about our bodies are. In, in shaping how the next generation might feel about theirs. So the idea of Body Confident Mums kind of started, I was at a conference in London, um, a body image conference, and I just happened to sit next to a very lovely person who turned out to be my now colleague, um, Ivanka Pritchard. And we just started talking about how, you know, we're at this conference, we're all talking about adolescence, but no one was talking about mums and we had kids around the same age. Um, so we kind of got together with another researcher in Melbourne, um, so we're all body image researchers uh, and Body Confident Mums is a research collaboration between Ivanka Pritchard, Laura Hart and I. And um, we had our first meeting in a park because I had to bring my oldest, oldest boy along and we just kind of talked about what sort of things needed to be done in the space in order to really establish just some of the research that needed to be done to know more about mums and their dissatisfaction with their bodies, what that might mean and some of the stuff that we can do about it. So we're hoping to fill the research gap in terms of understanding more about the body image of adult women and mothers. But then the thing I'm most passionate about coming from an education background is developing evidence-based resources that might help people. So we're working on those for mothers um, as you know, directly, but also to help health professionals that work with mothers have a better understanding of the impact of body image and, and what they could do as well. So our mission is really to change the appearance pressure that's placed on mums at a broader societal level um, and to do that by really um, by really understanding the broader impact of body image but also disrupting some of the negative conversations you know on social media and um, and also in smaller groups um, about mums bodies and just to make sure that mums aren't held back by their body image concerns you know that you don't not go swimming or go to the beach and all of those sorts of things. So yeah, to really just provide that alternate voice against the kind of societal norm um, that talks about you know, how important it is to be thin by just talking about how important it is to embrace and love your body. I love that. I love that. And that is such an interesting uh, pick up about how in our twenties and stuff, we didn't really talk about our bodies that much, but the moment you become a mom and even when you're pregnant, like all of a sudden people comment on your body, yeah. complete strangers or people who just would never say that to anyone else. And then even after you've had the baby as well, you just all of a sudden, it's like your body's on show for strangers to comment on, which is just so bizarre. Yeah, I, I found that really confronting when I was pregnant because I actually had a really small bump and so people commented on how small it was and that upset me as well. Like I guess yeah. it'd be, you know, the opposite of people saying, wow, he's so big, blah, blah, blah. But I had the opposite. Every time I would come home and cry, like I felt really upset because I was like, oh, well, they're, they're kind of saying like I'm not really growing a baby or, you know, but it was just, mm. I think it was strange because I'd never had someone talk about my tummy before as well. Yeah, and I think it's just, I mean, people don't do it on purpose. They don't, no. but they don't realise. But also I think it's just um, the changes that happen during pregnancy to your body are one of the only sort of consistent and common things that people have in common. Yes. And so like even someone that gave birth, you know, 50 years ago can still remember the changes that happened to their body and compare you to other people. So I think it's just one of those things and that's why all strangers comment on it. But we really need to invent a new thing 
for people to talk about um, for pregnant women and and women that have just had their babies. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious a bit more about the research findings that you've found about mums and body image. So can you go into detail a bit more about those? I've been working on quite a few pieces of, um, of research. And the first thing that we really wanted to do, um, which most researchers do, is a systematic review of all of the other research that's ever been done <laughs> on the topic. That sounds fun. Um, <laughs> um, well, it depends on your definition of fun. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we basically looked at all of the other papers that have ever um, reported on associations between body image or body dissatisfaction and other things in postpartum women. And what we found that there's actually a really high association between postnatal depression or just depression um, and body image. So all of the studies that have looked into the association found that it was there. Um, but what we don't know is which one comes first. Like they would find that women who were more dissatisfied during pregnancy were more likely to get um, postpartum depression, but also those that had postpartum depression were more likely to be dissatisfied. So it's a chicken and egg kind of situation. Yeah. But people are always really surprised when they talk about that association because they think of postnatal depression as being a really serious thing and they think of um, body image as generally being a frivolous thing. And so I like to talk about that association. The other things that body dissatisfaction was connected to was like shorter duration of breastfeeding, parenting stress, which is... Um, I mean, everyone's got some level of that, I think. <laughs> um, if you're dissatisfied, more likely to report parenting stress and also increased smoking. Um, this is all in postpartum women. And, and those with higher body dissatisfaction were less likely to exercise and more likely to engage in disordered eating. So that's the kind of general scope of things that body dissatisfaction is linked to in postpartum, postpartum women. The other kind of piece of research that we did, because of my because of my experience in playgroups, sitting there with women talking about all the negative things, um, we wanted to see whether mothers with young children, like preschool age zero to five, or mothers with older children, like six to 10, would have poorer body image or more dissatisfaction than women who were the same age but didn't have children. And so we had all of these women, we had like over 1,500 respond to a survey and I really thought that the mums with the little ones would be worse off. I really thought, you know, I've heard them complain. I know what it's like. They're going to be dissatisfied. But what we found was that there are actually no significant differences between the groups once we'd controlled for age and BMI. And, and we found that actually age and, and body mass or weight or size, whatever you want to call it, um, were more related to body image than having young children or school-age children or no children. Um, and so to me that, I mean, it's kind of disappointing when you're a researcher and you think you're going to find something you don't, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, it also kind of showed me that all adult women are actually in need of some resources and support in this area. And it's just not out there. So yeah. it kind of just confirmed that other stuff we've, if, um, I don't know if you heard of the embrace film, um, yes, I have came but... out in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah, want to talk so... about it a bit more in case someone hasn't? Embrace was written and um, shot by director Taryn Brumfitch, who's a South Australian mom. It's just an amazing film. It's really uplifting and empowering. And it talks about her journey through really being dissatisfied with her body to embracing it, basically, um, and doing that because of her kids. Um, and I was really fascinated by this film because, you know, as researchers, we're trying to develop resources, um, but they usually not that entertaining <laughs> they're usually <laughs> effective but you know it's, it's not the sort of thing people like line up to go and engage with and so this film came out and it was being seen by all these women and you know it's, it's on Netflix in the US like it's got really high distribution and I just wanted to say see whether it had an impact on body image so um, we just looked at the differences in body appreciation between women who had and hadn't seen the film um, and found that women who had seen the film were more likely to be, to appreciate their bodies and that it was particularly poignant for mothers, I think, because of the, the messaging in the film that was around really helping the next generation to embrace their bodies. And so we're working with Taryn. She's hoping to create an Embrace Kids film and she's currently crowdfunding that. So 
um, we'll be working with her to do that. And once it's created, it's going to be just sent out to all schools in Australia. And I think it's, it's film is just such a powerful medium because it has that emotive kind of impact. So, yeah, we're really hoping that she can get her um, target and then we can work on that with her. <gasps> that sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, oh, God, it just feels like we've done so much. But um, we've also done some qualitative work with the help of our master's student, Anita, who's um, looked at the associations between body image and physical activity for mothers of preschool-aged children because all of the research tells us that physical activity can help to improve body image. But it's such a hard thing to engage in when you're a mom. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like such a fraud because for ages we were doing this physical activity research and I could not find the time to exercise. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, you know, I totally understand why people, why, a whole week goes by and you're like, oh, that's right. I've worn my active wear every day, but I haven't actually <laughs> done anything yet. Yeah. Um, we've done some work there and it's, and it really does look like, yeah, it's, we're coming up with a lot of the barriers um, to physical activity and then we're going to try and develop some resources to overcome some of those. So we're looking at developing things for mums and a program for people like midwives and maternal health nurses and things who work with mums because um, they're amazing professionals and they've got such access to mums and we rely on them a lot for our information. Um, so we want to make sure that they have a good understanding about body image as well. Yeah, absolutely. And even with mother's groups as well, because that's a real, as you know, like when, when you first have a baby, that's sometimes the only time you get out to speak to people. So the conversations mm. that are happening in those facilitated groups are so important. Mm. Yeah. I just think um, there's a real opportunity there to mm. just talk about, um, you know, maybe your expectations about what might happen to your body and whether they were or weren't met and, and, to talk about the fact that <laughs> there's no rush. I talk about like it took nine months to get that way and it should take nine months, you know, to recover at least. Whereas women have this idea around the six-week checkup that like yeah. you should be back into regular clothes and regular life at the six-week checkup and it's just not, not really. Yes, that's such an interesting point because I remember thinking when I had my baby, like my first baby, that you had the baby and then immediately like your tummy just goes, like they come out and that's what was taking up all the space and I'd just be back into my normal clothes. So I had brought normal clothes to the hospital yeah. and I was like, I still look like I'm pregnant. What is this? Like I can't fit in my normal clothes. And I even Googled like how much weight do you lose like, the minute you give birth because I assumed it was the same that you put on. <laughs> and I didn't know because I hadn't seen a postpartum woman. And I mm -hmm. felt real shame about, you know, going to the supermarket, wearing my maternity clothes, really scared that someone was going to ask me, when are you due? Because mm. I was like, I'm not supposed to look like this. This is not how women look after they give birth. The baby comes out and you're back to a flat tummy. Not that I had a flat tummy to start with, but you know, I assumed yeah. that's what would happen. <laughs> but yeah, um, I even, expectations are interesting. Yeah. I even asked the midwife because um, you know, the day after, or it was even the day of, you know, I'm laying there and just looking down at my stomach and it was all jiggly and just jelly. And I just like was poking it and watching it wobble. And she walked in and I was like, when does this go away? Like, I was just so confused. And, um, I think that was a real moment where it could have gone either way, but she, um, in the way that most women do had this sort of self-deprecating like oh it never does patting her own stomach kind of response and and that kind of just um yeah that's also what made me want to do some materials for health professionals because that was a moment where she could have just been like you know what your body has just done an incredibly amazing thing and you know it's time to really just forget about that and it's handy for resting your baby on like you know it, yeah. it just could have been a moment of appreciation about functionality and um and not worrying about appearance at all but it it turned into something that was you know really just reinforcing those societal norms yeah um yeah but i think i really am i, I would like to be able to tell pregnant women <laughs> To, to get some sort of expectation management, but I just don't know if there's a way that we could talk about it that they would really take it in. I feel like when you're pregnant, you really 
Like I read seven books about birth. I read nothing about looking after a baby, you know, like it's hard to take in information about a situation that you just can't even conceptualize yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, the, like you're not as receptive because you're sort of like, Oh, look at this cute nursery furniture and these onesies and yeah, yeah. yeah, All these like high tech things that you need or you think you need. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you give birth like immediately and everything changes and you are, you're looking Mm. at your body and you're like, what, what is this? What happened down there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, to all of the bits down there. Yeah, to all of the bits. But I like what you said, like I love that you're working at the core, like with the health professionals, because they have that opportunity at that moment to really explain or, you know, to help a mum see, like your your body just did something so incredible and, you know, this is what it looks like. This is, you know, this is postpartum. Yeah. And I think we are seeing some more images of postpartum women in the media and on social media in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen a few more kind of realistic images come out. And I'm just hoping that, um, you know, women who are hoping to get pregnant or who are pregnant are seeing those as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to talk about that more, um, about what we're seeing in the media, social media, because it plays such an important role in body image perception. So, and also the mental health of mums, obviously. What are you seeing? What impact is that having? Well, I mean, we've got decades of research that shows that looking at thin, like in inverted commas, idealised kind of images of models is not great for body image. You know, we've... Um, for ages we get people into a lab we sit them down um, they complete a survey we show them images of thin models or something you know general like trees or something and then um, we get them to complete another survey and we find that the women who have seen the thin models consistently in every study and every study of all the studies we find that women walk out with low mood which is basically um, you know a depression kind of measure and um, greater body dissatisfaction all the time. Mm -hmm. So we know that those sorts of images have that effect. But now, I mean, that was when we're talking about the traditional media. We're talking about things in magazines and things um, on TV. But now we're carrying that around all the time. And also um, social media has a great impact because um, the, the images that we're seeing are kind of peers and they're kind of like, regular people-ish instead of all being celebrities and models and things and so in terms of like the reason why we we have greater body dissatisfaction when we see these images is because your brain engages in an instant comparison with that person Um, and we know that like people who are more dissatisfied with for example their thighs are more likely to look at the thighs of the person of the image they're looking at so you're more like you engage in this instant comparison and determine whether or not you are, you know, I guess, um, thinner or bigger than that person. And then that will have a resulting effect on your body image. So when we're looking at people who are more, uh, who are closer to us in terms of, um, you know, we think that they're more like us. They're, you know, they're uh, influences that we relate to or they're our friends um, and they are having, um, you know, putting up all these images of um, themselves you know, losing weight after pregnancy or getting back into pre-pregnancy clothes, then that's more likely to have a much more negative effect on um, body image and mood as well and broader mental health. Um, so, and, and I think a lot of it actually, I mean, there's been a lot of research specific to Fitspiration um, yeah. because it's such a phenomenon and like a lot of people um i think feel like they need to make themselves feel bad about themselves in order to engage in exercise like they think um you know if i make myself feel guilty about it then i'll be more likely to do it um but that's really not the way that it works um we know there's just actually no benefit of making yourself feel bad about the way that you look um and when we've done evaluations of um, you know, exposing people to look at Fitspiration images. Um, it has the same effect as the traditional media. It makes people feel worse about their bodies, makes people have low mood, but it also doesn't motivate physical activity behaviour. People have greater intentions to engage in physical activity, but they don't actually do it. Um, 
And so I just think there's no point in exposing yourself to that. And, and the thing with traditional media and magazines and things is we could never control like the images that we saw, you know, big companies and it was all like big advertising things and we'd be campaigning against, you know, magazines to show more diverse images. But now we can control that. Like we can just choose what to follow or not to follow and the sorts of images that we're going to see. And, um, you know, we as consumers can just make that decision and make sure that we're not exposing ourselves to things that are going to make us feel bad. Um, but I still see people following things that do make themselves feel bad because they think it's going to promote them to be physically active and it's just not working. So my message is, I guess, unfollow. <laughs> <laughs> unfollow those people. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some recent work has found that um, if you do, if you follow um, body positive content, so it's kind of sometimes called BOPO, um, like body positive or positive body image content by following that and by looking at images of more diverse diverse sized women can actually improve body image so it's not that social media is bad it's yeah. about what you're what you're seeing what you're consuming yeah, yeah. and yeah. also I, I lo- that's a really interesting point that you're saying like things like fitspo that's actually not inspiring you to take action it's making you feel worse um so any account that people are following for fitspo if it's not making you feel good it's almost like that um you know like is it sparking joy like no it's not yeah exactly (laughs) unfollow marie kondo your social media feed Yeah. yeah 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 exactly go through that wow that is so interesting um what, what are there any other sort of things that you're finding with social media, the effect that it's having on mums? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm focusing mostly on body image and on like yes. um, visual things, but then there's sort of the broader, I guess the research that's looking at the broader impact of like engagement in Facebook mum, mums groups and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of research being done on it, but it's basically finding what every mum knows when you're in those groups, <laughs> which is that, um, you know, being a part of those groups can be a really good thing because it can um, make you feel a bit more connected and it can help. Um, like There's so much to learn and it can really help to um, provide um, information at the exact time when you need it. Um, so it can be good for those things, but then it can also um, be um, either directly or indirectly judgmental um, because you either um, people either experience uh, people commenting and being judgmental towards them directly or when we see people being judgmental about someone else that makes us self-conscious about the fact that that could happen to us as well and so um, there's a lot of social comparison in terms of parenting styles and um and all of that as well. And everyone just wants to be like a good mum. You know, you just want to do the best that you can for your children. And that means different things for different people. And on social media, you don't get that nice continuum of, of different comments. Um, it, can, it can be really negative or it can be really positive. Yeah. And that can impact on mental health. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'd love to take a minute to tell you about my podcast partner, Your Life and Money Matters. If you've been tuning into season two, you would have heard me speak with Karen Batsillas on episode three, how mums can take control of their finances and live the life they want. Karen is the owner and financial advisor from Your Life and Money Matters, and she'd love to help you sort out your family finances. Working with a financial advisor is not for people with millions of dollars. Karen is all about helping you live the life you want with what you have. Your Life and Money Matters offers different services such as The Checkup, where they take a comprehensive look into your finances, assess your current situation, help you set financial goals and a clear path to get to them. My husband and I recently had a checkup done with Karen and we were blown away by how useful it was to our financial situation. There's also the option to continue working with Your Life and Money Matters and stay on track to living the life you want. And lastly, they can help you develop a personalized insurance strategy to protect what is most important to you. If you're ready to live the life you want by taking control of your finances, reach out to Karen for more information at yourlifeandmoneymatters.com.au. Are there any words, like, have you researched some of the words that are around 
women like mum's bodies that sort of trigger things or like the way that they feel about them? Like, for example, the word mum tum. Mm. Did anything of that come up in your research? No, no one's actually done that. It's an interesting thought though. Do you think that if you see people talking about their mum tum, then you'd be more likely to be self-conscious of yours? Yeah. In one way, it's like, it's almost like this cute sort of name and it explains like, yeah, I've got it. I've, this is why it's not a burger that I ate. It's because I had a Mm. baby, but also the fact that it's, that it's even addressed as being something because of motherhood, if that makes sense. Like, it's kind of like when, you know, um, the dad bod came out and it's, you know, that negative association. Well, you know, if, if you're a dad, then you've lost all your muscle tone and, you know, you're flabby and like that, those sort of, I guess, associations with, with words like that. Hmm, interesting study. I'm writing it down. I'm okay, gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that oh, one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know. Come back and tell us all about it. <laughs> okay. I actually really like that thing that you're saying, how interesting it is with, I guess, when you compare yourself with celebrities, but then now there's, you know, everyday women that we're seeing, you know, public accounts of. Because, you know, with a celebrity, you can at least look at that and go, oh, they've got access to so much money. So they've got a chef, they've got a personal trainer, you know, they, they, they can look great in six weeks, but I can't do that because it's not realistic for my lifestyle. But then when you're seeing someone who, you know, probably is the same like socioeconomic status and things like that, and you're like, oh, but I don't look like that. So then that's making you feel bad because you're like, well, we have access to the same things. How is she fitting this in? How is she looking so great? And I'm not, you know, at that point yet. Exactly. And in the past, you would have only been exposed to maybe like five or 10 people that you would see in person. Yes. Um, but now like it's endless in terms of the number of people that you might be connected to online that you could potentially compare yourself with. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what about with what, what is, I guess, can you explain a bit more about the status of feeling that you're better than someone because of the way that you look like, what is that? So when you're comparing and you're going, well, she, you know, she's got this and well, I don't have that. And you know, what, why do we actually feel that way? Well, that's getting deep. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, there's lots of boring psychological terms, um, yeah. about upward and downward comparisons. Okay. Um, but it's basically if you're looking at someone and you're thinking that you are, um, better off than that person it provides yeah. a psychological boost whereas if you're thinking that you're worse off then it makes you feel worse yeah. um, and so we do that in a range of different ways and all like subconsciously without really thinking about it most of the time but then when it comes to appearance it can be specific to like overall appearance or facial appearance or weight or different body parts you know in particular so that comparison is really what's driving what's driving a lot of the dissatisfaction in in terms of um, exposure to images and other people. Um, body dissatisfaction can come out of other all sorts of other ways yeah. <laughs> um, in psychological processes, but in terms of like the media and social media and um, those sorts of things, social comparison is one of the main reasons why that's harmful. And so with all this research behind you, what are some of the effective strategies that you've come across that can help mums to have a positive relationship with their body? Can you give us any tips? When we've been looking at all of the previous research that's been done with college women or with adult women, there are a few effective strategies that are coming through. And one of them, which I really like, is the concept of self-compassion. So this is the idea um, that you would treat yourself with the same kindness that you would a good friend. Um, And if you just sort of stop and reflect, maybe you could think about a situation where um, your internal self-talk about something might have been really negative. Like, you know, I often (laughs) have a lot of, um, uh, I replay like conversations that I've had or something and, and like a dumb thing that I said, I'm like, oh, that was really stupid. You know, like you have that negative conversation with yourself. But if you saw a friend and they said, oh, I just had this really, you know, I just said something really stupid. You'd be like, don't worry, everyone does that. And you would have like a really kind response. And so self-compassion is really trying to um, make make it more natural and um, make yourself more likely to tell yourself that kind thing instead of the kind of um, 
instead of beating yourself up about it. And so there's a wonderful researcher in the US, Christian Neff, who um, has developed a whole lot of self-compassion resources and they've, they've looked at um, the effect of just listening to, there's like three different recordings about self-compassion. They're on Insight Timer, which is a free app, um, or you can get them online um, through our website. There's links and stuff. Um, so they're just recordings that you would listen to and they're just, they're general. They don't even talk about bodies. But by listening to those recordings, um, people ended up feeling better about their bodies. So we think that's a really positive kind of um, way forward. And it also is a little bit broader than just thinking about your body. Um, so I like the idea of using that. And also I like the idea that you can just listen to something you don't have to do that much. <laughs> um, so we're looking at trying to um, adapt those to be a bit more specific to mums. Um, and the other strategy is really um, having gratitude or appreciation of the functionality of your body. So really reducing the importance of how it looks and really thinking about all of the other functions that our bodies do for us that we don't really acknowledge on a day-to-day basis. And um, a researcher um, from the Netherlands um, has developed some some intervention materials where people just sit and write like a journal entry um, about your body's senses or um, the things your body can do in terms of a physical um, sense, like being able to run around or, or sometimes I can't do that any, <laughs> anymore, but, you know, um, hug your children, um, do all of the things that bodies can do. And just by sitting and writing about that for 15 minutes, participants really felt better about their body. Um, and we've done a little bit of that specific and making that a little bit more specific to mothers as well by thinking about the birth and motherhood process and everything that your body has, has done um, in that way. So that sort of functionality focus is good. Um, and, of course, um, I'd recommend seeing the Embrace film if you haven't already. That's a really easy one um, and it's available on iTunes. So if just get some women together and watch it and I dare you to watch it without crying. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, that's a really easy one. Just it will change the way that you think about your body um, and the way that we talk about our bodies as well. Um, there's a few other resources um, that we've got linked through on our website um, that are at the moment, they're other people's resources and then eventually we'll have our own up there as well. Things like mindfulness, um, things like, um, physical activity are known to be associated with more positive body image. Um, but those are so, so things that are a little bit more difficult to, um, to get into the habit of doing, I guess. Yeah. I keep putting like meditate on my to-do list and just <laughs> never get to it. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. So there's some great resources on your website, which we'll talk about um, at the end. But thank you. Are there any other tips? Um, I guess it's just really stopping yourself from having that negative thought. It's, mm. um, it's just not actually helpful and um you know shame and guilt have just never been found to motivate physical activity behavior or healthy food behavior and I see a lot of women particularly on social media just hating on themselves for some of the behaviors that they engage in um and almost thinking that it's a good idea to keep beating themselves with a stick and um like all of the research has found that body dissatisfaction is more likely to mean that you'll, or if you're dissatisfied with your body, you're less likely to exercise. Yeah. So the easiest way to sort of um, make sure that you begin and maintain engaging in physical activity is to have higher appreci body appreciation. Um, and maybe that's something that you could do before in the sort of I'm getting ready to exercise stage <laughs> is just start, like thinking about appreciating some of the functions of your body and, the, yeah. and all the things it can do. That's great. And that's a great point too. I mean, you know, from so many like things that we read and hear about physical activity that it all starts with your mind first. Like it's not just like, mm. Oh, like you said, I'll put on my active wear and I'll put my runners on. And then of course I'll be able to go to a Pilates class. Like <laughs> um, yeah. 
yeah, it, it all comes back to, you know, that mindset around your body. So that's really, really interesting. Okay. So I think what we might move on to now chatting about is just more your personal experience of motherhood. So are you able to share your journey of becoming a mum, and what's really surprised you and challenged you about motherhood? Oh, everything has been a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was one of those people who um, always loved babies and everyone always said I was so maternal and, um, you know, always um, wanted children and, you know, had wanted them for like seven years before we actually had them kind of thing, you know, like really longed for this experience. and got pregnant relatively easily, loved being pregnant, you know, um, wore all the clothes that showed off the bump and um, did all the research about, like, I had spreadsheets about prams and, you know, (laughs) all the things that we had to do to prepare for this baby. I read all the books about birth. I was going to be great at birth, like a typical type A, ambitious, you know, um, all of that. But, you know, I read all there was about birth everything um, about these different products, but there was nothing that had prepared me for actually um, the identity change, the physical change and, um, and the actual, the new role of being a mom. Like there was no manual or handover (laughs) or anything. Um, And, you know, as someone who was relatively used to being successful in my um, professional life, it was very difficult to suddenly be really bad at your new job. Um, because I just didn't know what to do. Um, and my first has always been a very intense child. It's like he came out, um, just like determined to teach me. Um, and he still does teach me every single minute of every day that I can't control as much as I think I can. Um, and it's like, he's put here to teach me about the fact that, um, everyone has a different way of doing things <laughs> because the way that he does things is always the opposite to what I would um, think would be a good idea. <laughs> um, and then two and a half years later, so um, my eldest was two and a half, um, I found out that I was pregnant with twins and that was a surprise. Um, you know, I was seven weeks pregnant going along to the, um, the little scan um, thinking, why am I feeling so sick? And then the sonographer was like, um, do you have twins in your family? And I was like, um, no, why? And then we just like, luckily my husband was there because you don't always take them for that first appointment. But, um, yeah, he was there and we just laughed, like in shock kind of laughter um, for quite some time. Because um, I think people, people don't know about – so these are identical twins. and. Um, they just happen like science doesn't really know why and so I keep telling everyone I know that's wanting to get pregnant I'm like it could happen to you <laughs> um so uh yeah had twins and that really stretched my capacity um as a mother and as a human trying to survive um and to care for so many tiny humans at one time was was really difficult um and for a while there, like I'll openly admit that I escaped to work. Like I, after the twins were one, um, you know, I'd go back to work and I threw myself into my job, said yes to everything, um, you know, just like get back into that kind of work persona, I guess, um, just to be able to like pee alone and drink hot coffee and have adult conversations. Um, but at the end of last year, I just really kind of burnt out a bit um, from trying to do all things. And, you know, I'd be at work and everyone in the role that I was in, everyone was like, I need this. I, I want you to do this today. Like this has to happen right now. And then I'd get home and the kids would be like, I need a drink. I need this. I need that. And it was just like too many people asking me for things <laughs> all of the time. Um, so I've been on a bit of a journey again, mostly being educated by my children. Um, just to really try and reframe and refocus um, and to do the work that is engaging and refreshing um, rather than depleting. Um, so that's been difficult as someone who's a workaholic and overachiever, <laughs> but it's been, um, it's been a really interesting experience. Um, and I guess I, this is prompted, but I did this exercise. I went to see this mentor and she um, 
she had me write down like the year, like you know, 2019, 2020 in the left-hand column, how old I would be next to that. And then how old each of the kids would be at these, at these different points in time. And she made me see that really there's plenty of time left. Like there will be times when the kids won't be so demanding and, um, and I won't be that old and I won't, you know, have sort of be in retirement by then, you know, it's, there's still time afterwards so I can afford time now to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting with, um, I would describe myself as type A as well and a perfectionist. And even when I was pregnant, you know, writing down, I wrote down what my baby's schedule would be like before he was born. <laughs> Because, of course, he was going to follow my strict schedule, um, which is just so hilarious when I think about it. And even when I told my friends, they were all laughing. They're like, that's a very hard thing to do. (laughs) And same, I was like, he was put on this earth to challenge me and teach Mm -hmm. me that I actually don't have patience. (laughs) Um, And it does. Like when when you're used to controlling things and wanting things to go a certain way, it's really, really difficult as a mum. And I wonder, like, I don't know, if you ever do a study on this as well, like those type of sort of personalities, the type A compared to the people who are really chillaxed and, you know, go with the flow and stuff like that. So it'd just be interesting to see if maybe there's a correlation between um, those personality types and how we, how we cope with being a mum and all the changes that come with it. Yeah. And for a while, like I was really thinking it was um, associated with like your profession or like, you know, what you were doing and the sort of level that you were at, but I don't think it is. I think it's mm. more associated with personality characteristics. And for a while I really wanted to, these are all the things I cooked up while I was on maternity leave. I, could, I wanted to have like a, a test that you could do that would tell you um, what sort of personality characteristics you had and what that might mean for when you're a mum. Like if you're a perfectionist, you might be into schedule. <laughs> like, but if, if you are, um, you know, because some women just cope so well with the kind of, with following your baby's lead and, you know, just going with the flow and stuff. And some women just really don't. And I think you spend a lot of time trying to figure that out in the early days. And I would keep, I would keep um, swinging from one to the other, like, oh no, I'm just going to let it all go. And then like, oh no, I need my schedule. And that makes, that sort of like, you know, vertical failure um, yeah. makes you feel worse. Um in those early days and um, I just think it would be really helpful to do a quiz and tell you what you should <laughs> what you should do um, but that's a really challenging study to do so if anyone wants to fund it yeah that would be great <laughs> <laughs> isn't it great the things that you cook up when you're on maternity leave like oh my god when like all the creative juices and just all these ideas um, you know when you have absolutely no time but all of a sudden you're like I need to do this new thing <laughs> yeah but like you, you sort of do and you don't have time. Like I spent yeah. so much time, particularly with twins, just sitting on the couch breastfeeding, looking at the mess around me and just like thinking about how challenging it was and what I could do for other women to try and make it less challenging. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, because it really just was not the Huggies commercial that I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Although you would have had a lot of nappies around with too. So. Definitely, yes. <laughs> Swimming in nappies, but not the kind of um, no. <laughs> just the imagery that I see on all of the advertising around babies and children now. It's like they should have a disclaimer. To yeah. <laughs> like, may not represent real life. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so, how do you find then, um, you know, with your ro- your role and all your research? How do you then, as a mum, approach this topic of body image with your own kids? Yeah, it's it's really difficult because even when you have expertise in a topic, you still have like all of the societal pressures around, like you're still exposed to the same environment that everyone else is. And you still have, like I find as a parent, you often go just inadvertently back to your own experiences and you find yourself saying the things that your parents said, you know, even if you don't want to. <laughs> um so it's it's hard to sort of get out of those patterns. Um, and my kids are only six, four, and four, so I haven't really had detailed discussions about body image yet. Um, 
but we do read a lot of children's books that have that as a focus. Um, like I had them all in my office. <laughs> I've been taking these home to read and, and they really like that. And I think, um, with very young children, it's just, it's all about celebrating diversity and, um, of appearance and of all other things. So, you know, isn't it wonderful that everyone looks so different and isn't it great that like, you know, all bodies can do different things and some people are really good at jumping and some people are really good at other things and really just taking the focus off appearance um, to focus on functionality and then celebrating that kind of diversity and um, the range of different ways that bodies can look. So it's just about, it's about making a point like of having that conversation, even though it might be difficult, um, you know, that when they first notice that someone has a fat tummy at the supermarket and they point that out in a loud yeah. voice, um, yeah. having that conversation <laughs> that some people have big tummies, some don't like, and, and, but isn't it great that like everyone looks different, just like there's all different kinds of flowers and all different kinds of puppies and flavors of ice cream and really just normalizing yeah. the fact that every, it's okay for everyone to look different and there's no one way that we need to look. Um, and then it's also just um, in terms of role modeling, it's really I think important as a mum to, to say positive things about your body Um even if you know you're not feeling it, um, you can you can say things like, "Oh, I love how strong my arms are. Look, I can carry two babies." Or, you know, my my legs help me to keep up with you when you're running away from me, um, and all of those sorts of things. So it's about really normalizing appreciation of of your body um, for functions, but also in appearance. Um, yeah. And if we can start to build those things, then I think we're going to have a very different generation of teenagers in 20 years' time. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it is interesting the things that we do carry on from our own, you know, being a child from our own parents to our children. Um, even like I noticed, you know, I said like something to my son, like when he gets his hair cut and like to encourage him, it was like, mm. oh, you look so cute. You know, you look like a spunk. And now to him, like giving that compliment or getting that compliment makes him so happy. And I was like, oh, you know, and then I questioned it. I'm like, oh, why did I say that? Like, you know, and why does he respond so well to looking good like you know yeah him, that's really pumped him up and I was like oh have I ruined him forever like what have I done um but you do like you just sort of automatically go to those things or like when you see like I don't have daughters but you know when you see you're like oh she's so pretty she's yeah. you know and it's like why are we saying these things like you know I try to catch myself out you know saying to my son things like you you know you're really smart you're really strong you're yeah. really brave and you know your legs make you go super fast and things yeah. like that but it's yeah it's just catching ourselves out and trying to change it but it's so hard even it, i think like oh isn't that a beautiful dress oh you look lovely it's like yeah. why why are these things coming out but yeah. yeah it's just i guess when you notice yourself doing it if you add in the kind of functional yes comments, then it's a balanced kind of approach so, yeah absolutely yeah. we can only do our best we yeah. can we can yeah we can't beat ourselves <laughs> up about it but yeah that's being aware of it um so I'd love to find out a bit more about you then. So I know you are busy with your kids and, you know, with your research and body confident mums, but what's your perfect way to unwind from all of this? As a type A, do you unwind? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, I was just like thinking I don't have an answer to this question. Um, the only thing that really works for me and it doesn't sound very nice, but it's spending time away from my children. Yeah. So I am very fortunate to be able to go to conferences. And um, for me, that feels like a really justified <laughs> justified um, travel experience because I'm doing work. Um, so my type A is, is satisfied. But then while I'm away from the kids, I actually just get a moment to remember who I was um, and what I do enjoy doing and um, how to, and, and just get the time to do those little things that do make you feel a lot better. Um, and unfortunately the impact doesn't really last that long when I get home, <laughs> but, um, and 
yeah, but I, I will still continue to keep doing it. I think at least once a year, it's just so important to get away and just remember who you are, what you like to do, and to be able to actually go and do those things. Um, so that's really the only way that I can unwind from real life. Yeah. And I, I think so many people listening would relate to that. Um, same. Like, I just feel like having time away from my kids then just makes it easier when I am with them because I don't know about you, but like just having people on me being touched all day is just, it's exhausting. Yeah. And I think you can bring that concept in to daily life because it's little things like, um, you know, before I do the bed, bath, like whatever routine to try and make them sleep, um, it's just taking a moment to like fulfill my needs first. Like if I need a cup of tea or if I need like some chocolate, I'm going to just take that before I try and do this rather than being like, oh, no, I'll have a cup of tea after because then you just get more cranky that your own needs aren't being met during the hours that it can take um, yeah. to get them all to sleep. So I think it's just, um, yeah, like filling your cup in small ways um, and even just, I mean, I, um, it's a bit hard at the moment because it's winter and it's dark, but I did for a little short period of time manage to get up before the kids and <sighs> like everyone was, everyone would always talk about it and I'm like, nah, nah, I'm, not doing that. I'm staying in bed. But um, it really is amazing if you can get up before the kids. Um, to just do the things that you need to do to make you feel good about the day before yeah. they take over. Oh, I know. I hear it all the time too. And I'm like, it sounds so good, but like I hardly, like I don't get full night's sleep already. So I just don't want to yeah. take any like extra time away from sleeping. Exactly. Uh, and I rely on my kids as my alarm clock. And then, you know, they sleep yeah. in on the days where I have to actually be somewhere. And I was like, why didn't you all wake up? <laughs> Right. yeah but I'm gonna do that one day I want to see what it is like I feel like I, I mean before kids I used to get up at like 5 a.m to go to the gym every day and now yeah. I can't think of anything worse I was like oh my god yeah. why, why did I waste all that time <laughs> yeah yeah we'll try it when, when you've got an early airport drop-off or something yeah you can take some like someone to the airport and then like that's what did it for me and I was like actually this is nice yeah <laughs> the sun's rising and I'm you know sitting here quietly collecting my thoughts yeah yeah good yeah so good and so what's a random fun fact about you you have the hardest question I know um, everyone gets <laughs> to this one. um I guess I grew up in country New South Wales and um I wanted to be a dairy farmer when I grew up. Um, and so I guess that's a fun fact because it's very different to what I'm actually doing. <laughs> Although, yeah, still getting up early and still mostly surrounded by shit. <laughs> <laughs> very similar life. <laughs> yes, motherhood and dairy farmer. Yeah. Similar, but, yeah. Very different to being a researcher. Yeah, yeah. What happened? How come you never end up being a dairy farmer? <laughs> Oh, my mum took me along to a dairy farm for oh. one morning. And once I saw what was actually involved, I was like, yeah, no, that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of cow poo everywhere all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so very early change of career plan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. Who knows where you would have been? <laughs> I know, right? That is good. That is a good random fun fact. I love it. Um, so now we're going to wrap up and I just, I want to thank you so much for spending time, you know, chatting about what you're doing and all these really cool findings that, you know, it's really going to hopefully help mums that are listening to just think about, you know, the way that they feel about their body, the way they're talking about their body to themselves and, you know, in front of their kids and things like that. So thank you for that. So if people want to connect with you, find out more about Body Confident Mums, where can they go? So we've got a website, bodyconfidentmums.org. And on there, if you sign up, you'll be the first to know when we do have our resources ready, um, you'll be the first to be contacted about those and sign up to participate in some of our research studies. Um, but we're also on Facebook and Insta whenever I get around to posting. <laughs> Not frequently, um, but we are there. So do follow us. And yeah, I just really love to hear from anyone, particularly, you know, mums that are running businesses or um, 
work for businesses that would like to integrate some more of these sorts of approaches and people that want to collaborate on different different things as well because as researchers we have a very specific sort of niche in terms of our strengths um, and really we rely on the strengths of other people who are actually able to do social media stuff and you know talk in real language and um, do marketing and things that I've got no idea about yeah um, in order to actually have an impact in this space because um, yeah we need all of the people onto this I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mamas on a Mission. If you did, hit subscribe, leave a review, or let's chat more on Motherhood Melbourne, Facey or Insta page. If you're keen as beans to know more about my guest, the podcast or my podcast partner, visit motherhoodmelbourne.com.au. Okay, mama, that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with me.